hi, we have day jobs and we're all very busy. And so we were not able to edit the Everclear episode that was scheduled to air today. So we're going to do an encore presentation of an old episode. And then next week, we should be able to bring you the Everclear episode and two weeks later, the end of 1997 special. So we're going to flash back to August 2020 uh, to an episode where we kind of felt like we hit our stride and uh, had some fun and interesting things to say. And that is the episode about Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2 from the Batman Forever soundtrack. So uh, consider uh, listening again. See you soon. It's June 24th, 1995, in the summer of Batman. (laughs) Batman, and for the first time his sidekick Robin, are set to face off against the Riddler and the (laughs) Two-Faced. And Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2 is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. Hello, and welcome to All Your Thoughts on Pod. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Batman. (laughs) I'm Trav. Riddle me this. I'm Alec. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, U2's contribution to the Batman Forever soundtrack. Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me spent four weeks at the top of the Modern Rock chart. Okay, this is not the the first thing that I necessarily planned, but I feel like we might need to talk about this because I feel like I don't I don't I don't know what Quillen's stance on this. What's your relationship to you two in general? Mm. Uh, me. Um. Yeah, I have little to no relationship with you two. Um. I never got into any of their albums. Never tried. Um, okay, N- never even like Joshua Tree or anything uh, like that. No, I mean, I there definitely there are songs of theirs that I like and have liked um, in my younger days. Uh, uh, what's the song? Uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday has a cool drum beat, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's a cool song. Mm. Um, I uh, I liked one uh, at a time. Uh, like in maybe high school. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, 
Uh, man, my U2 jam, maybe this is embarrassing. I don't know, but it's the sweetest thing. Oh, um, no. No judgment here. Okay. Yeah. I think that that song is beautiful and amazing, and uh, I love it. That's definitely my favorite U2 song. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll reserve my feelings on the song of uh, Focus until... Okay. So you've never owned a U2 album before? No. Well, uh, just kidding, actually. I did buy The Unforgettable Fire on vinyl um, maybe, like in 2013 or so um like a used copy um just because uh is it the title track on that album that's awesome and i think i bought it because of that and quite a few tracks on that album that are awesome well i haven't i haven't really listened to it um Uh i bought it for that song because i think the the record was maybe like five bucks or something like that so i was like yeah "Yeah, I, i should buy this Trev, you 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 mess around with you two a bit, right? Yes, but um, I'm a little wary of it because I don't want to be the old white guy who likes REM and U2 too much. That's too much. That's too much mayonnaise. So, um, yeah, realistically, like the. I guess looking at the whole of like uh, of their discography of their catalog like 80s u2 uh, i don't really enjoy that much it's very earnest right when i think of 80s u2 i think of bono waving the white flag at red rocks and i think of like rattle and hum and the ridiculousness of that that goes down in that movie i think they go to graceland and do like the spinal tap thing but like don't make the connection about what they're doing (laughs) Um, yeah, I just like, there's a lot about eighties E2 that I'm just like, I never need to hear anything from Joshua tree again. Um, I think new year's day is awesome. I love new year's day. Um, do you love a beautiful day? I do not. Same. Um, (laughs) I think that's where they, where they crossed the line. That was the moment where they went too far. Yeah. Um, not even pop. So, yeah, when they got to the 90s and then they, like, sort of reacted to the earnestness of what they were doing in the 80s and after being mocked and things like that for for being so sincere, um, and they started to take on these personas and and uh, and own the, uh, the rock star thing, I think that's when they got a lot more interesting to me. Okay. So, Octung Baby would be the first... U2 album that really interests you now? Yeah, basically it comes down to Octane Baby, Zuropa, and Pop. Okay. I, I, I like 80s U2. Um, I don't know if I'd describe myself as a U2 fan, but I like Unforgettable Fire and, uh, and Joshua Tree. I, I agree that the Joshua Tree singles are, you know, they suffer from overexposure. But... Uh, I like all of the 80s U2 singles, um, and I like Octung Baby a fair amount. I'm, I'm not very familiar with Zuropa, and uh, I don't think that I really like pop. And I agree. I, I think that Beautiful Day is just about the best example of sort of like post-2000 bland arena pop, but... Um, I don't like the world that that song seems to have made. Um, 
I don't like the Coldplay category of blandly earnest hallmark sentiments um, that I, I do think Beautiful Day had a big role in, mm. in introducing. Okay, well, this is a very specific, teeny little snapshot of U2's career. The song Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me on the Batman Forever soundtrack. What were your initial thoughts about this song, Quill? Uh, it's pretty good, actually. Um, I I don't think I liked it as a kid. I was aware of it, and um, I know we'll we'll talk about the, the music video in a bit. Uh, I definitely remember like vaguely at least remember the music video there's a specific part that i very vividly remember that was awesome to see again it cracked me up um but yeah i i I don't know it was just not really a style that i dug when i was a kid but um man it's kind of a cool song uh it's dramatic uh which is not something i typically like um but uh like the soaring guitar line is kind of cool and all the strings are awesome. Um, the strings, especially mm-hmm. at the ending are just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. Again, super dramatic, so appropriate for being a song on the soundtrack to a superhero movie, specifically Batman. Uh, like it's perfect for that. Um, so yeah, I, um, I don't want to take up too much time, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, I, I, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by how I felt no, about it. Keep, keep going. This is the first time you've said something nice about a song. <laughs> Elaborate, please. <laughs> the, I'm, first I'm time, super... the first time I've said something nice about a song out of the 16 songs that we've, yeah, I'm just, I'm I, know, I know, <laughs> I know. No, it's, I, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I, uh, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The song is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It uh, is, it is like a, a singular hit, right? Like there's nothing else that sounds like this, especially in 1995. Mm. Like they start getting into some electronic aspects that like, start to get integrated in alternative music in the late 90s when you start to get into like 97 98 and like chemical brothers stuff starts getting pushed into like the sound of of alternative music and they were already kind of like dabbling like there's hints of that in here but the strings the strings are amazing the strings mm-hmm. really make mm-hmm. it um i watched a version a live version um i think it's probably the first thing that comes up when you when you put it in youtube um, without the strings and it is, uh, empty. It's really mm. missing the strings. Um, okay. the chorus is great because there's still that like lead guitar riff, which is great. Um, but yeah, without, without the strings, it's, it's not the same song. Uh, it's curious that you say it doesn't sound like anything else on the radio. Cause actually my one complaint really would be that this is the bass part from Vaseline by the Stone Temple Pilots, mm. but with a much less inventive drum beat. So it's both, they're both doing the polyrhythm thing with the but uh, in this song the drum beat's totally straight, snare on two and four. Uh, Whereas on the Stone Temple Pilots, they're one they're doing the. Uh, 
I don't think the drum beats straight. I, I um, think it's a more interesting drum. I I like the drum fire. I thought it was okay. actually pretty yeah. interesting. No, I'm 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 not about to complain about this song. I I think that it is uh, pretty cool. It's got a. Um, I don't think I'm the only person who's remarked that it has a T Rex vibe. Mm. Oh, it's got like a an early glam kind of style. Sense. I yeah, I can hear that. Um, there are electronic elements. There are the psychedelic strings. Um, I'm I, I'm kind of trying to figure out how I feel about the lyrics, and we'll have to get the we'll have to integrate the video and all of the context together. Because on the surface, it has some of the kind of like the meaningless '90s paradoxes that are just kind of like, "Hey, take a look at my irony" kind of things that '90s lyricists do. Like he's got the the lyric where he says, "And you're turning tricks with your crucifix. You're a star," which is like a very meaningless 90s lyric. All right, but all right, all right, all right, all right. That was the one thing I wanted to say about how great the lyrics were. I thought the lyrics were fantastic. <laughs> I guess we're getting into it. Um, yeah, so we might, there are a lot of, there's a, a lot of theory in a way and a lot of context that we have to get into to, to talk about the lyrics of the song, right? It's all part of the context of Zoo TV and... U2's whole early 90s, I don't know, outlook. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Did you, you were wanting to approach that first and then come back to that? Because that particular verse is the highlight of the song for me. Okay. Um, I guess, so if we look at the big picture and we look at 80s U2, and how they evolved in in the 90s and um they started to take an approach where they were like quote unquote rock stars wearing mm-hmm. like black leather and sunglasses and like they were playing a part right and that's what octane baby was about i think and the stone roses i think the stone roses were basically like sort of like the main inspiration for that album. I think there's so many like like influences that they took from them. Hmm. Um, I guess maybe I should just say Mysterious Ways specifically. Um, sounds like a Stone Roses song. But, you know, the Manchester thing, maybe Happy Mondays too. Um, <sighs> anyways, so the song is... Um, a, a, a cool way of like like taking into account like rock history like the title itself is hold me throw me kiss me kill me um and obviously it is kind of a reference to uh hold me throw me kiss me by mel carter i believe um and then they added kill me which is you know kind of ties into like the whole rock star like mythos of like be like when you die young you benefit from it in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um i was actually so i have like the zoo tv dvd on in the background and they post these like um phrases across and i i happened to notice earlier it said um there were a couple of phrases that jumped out celebrity is a job and death is a career move Mm -hmm. and um like almost like uh like something they would have done in um stop making sense you know 
these kind of iconic yeah, phrases. The other thing that I was reminded of watching the Zoo TV footage is um, it never occurred to me before, but Hail to the Thief, the artwork for that album is very derivative of the Zoo TV art design with these random words yes. being juxtaposed, yes. you know, these um, these kind of like heavily commercial words like U2 will flash to like words like cola or lager or I think even Walt Disney on the screen next to racial epithets and, uh, you know, heavily politicized language. Um, and that, that reminded me of the cover of Hilda the Thief. Yeah, yeah. So I think basically the, the subject matter of the song is is being a rock star a quote-unquote rock star right and um that verse the full verse which i think is just jaw-droppingly great is they want you to be jesus they'll go down on one knee but they'll want their money back if you're alive at 33 and you're turning tricks with your crucifix you're a star i think that is amazing in the context of what they were doing that is like the centralized sort of like the thesis of 90s U2. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You convinced me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should say um, Bono's exploring a lot of these ideas through the creation of alter egos. So his quote unquote rock star with big bug eyed sunglasses and black leather is The Fly. And uh, on Octung Baby, the song The Fly is one of several that is sung explicitly from the, the, the point of view of that character. Um, I believe even better than the real thing is also associated with the character of The Fly. Um, and uh, so on the Batman soundtrack, Bono is using alter egos to explore media and celebrity and fame and uh it's a cool cocktail of of pop culture um all put together it fits in with the kind of some of the paradoxes that u two's exploring um of let's see uh the performance of rock music being a commentary on rock music itself um rebellion and satire being uh products that are commodified and sold um all of those things dovetail perfectly with you two putting this song in a heavily commercialized uh hollywood product yeah yeah absolutely yeah. he actually i think they were trying to get him a cameo in the movie, I'd I read that they were trying to get. I him read a that cameo. too. Yeah, like a yeah. Uh, as Macfisto or what? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that. I thought that yeah. was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So I know the significance of of the fly. What's the significance of Bono's alter ego, Macfisto? That's a good question. Um, I don't based know. Off of, it's based off of like, uh, is it Mephistopheles or? Uh huh. From yeah, that sounds sounds it, right. Is it from? Uh, which also, I, I think in comic books, uh, like I think in the X-Men series, there was a villain called Mephisto or Mephisto, um, hmm. derived from that as well. Uh, is that from yeah, so the Divine real Comedy? Quick, Meph or? Mephistopheles is, uh, yeah, is from Faust. Oh, okay. Which is, uh, right? It's a story about someone kind of like selling their soul for... 
I don't know what they sell their soul for in Faust. Hmm. Is there a fiddle involved? Or is that devil went down to Georgia? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're not I literary that's, critics. That's the thing that makes me so interested in Mechfisto is I don't like why of all things did he like he clearly spent a lot of time thinking about what he wanted to do and he settled mm-hmm. on that <laughs> this mischievous like effete sort of very like refined um uh devilish kind of figure do you, like what what is what's he doing do you think it was as a counterpoint to like his faith like being a you know i think he considers himself a a christian right uh yeah yeah um maybe maybe i i know that there were there were moments where he would um as mcfisto make prank phone calls during their concerts like there's a a video of him maybe calling the white house i think and getting through to someone as mcfisto and he's really funny and and charming in this character but it's like what what is what's the what's the point i don't mm. know what the point is but it's enough to keep drawing me in to be like what what's going on here it's really it's really something yeah well you you were talking about how you were kind of turned off by this the overly sincere vibe you get from 80s u2 i think that the the main thing that people mocked in 80s u2 was a sense of like self-seriousness um that uh or a sense of self-importance that you know um that the band was involved in you know these like they had these social justice messages but you know i think that bono has always maybe unintentionally come off as sort of self-aggrandizing even as he's trying to preach the gospel of justice and peace you know he always seems a little bit like he's trying to draw attention to himself and i don't know you know he always seems like he's mixing some kind of weird sex appeal and with his spirituality and with Mm -hmm. his political concerns Mm -hmm. and things like that and those things can sit uncomfortably together um so yeah i think that this is an opportunity to break free of um of some of the image that he'd cultivated in the eighties by playing this demon character. Can I ask a question of you, of of the both of you? Uh, I also read that there was another, um, character. Was it like mirror ball man or something like that? It was indeed. Yeah. Well, that was, (laughs) so that was something that I like, doesn't really come to mind when you think about Bono, but Uh I saw him, I I saw mirror ball man. And he was. You saw him lot. What do you mean? And I, I, uh, and the the Zoo TV DVD that I've been mm. watching. Uh, if you say his name three times in the mirror, <laughs> mirror ball man will just appear. <laughs> yeah, I bought this DVD because I, I, like I said, I think '90s U2 is interesting, and I, I bought it in Canada a couple, of, like maybe last year, I think. And so, um, I was watching it, uh, just kind of doing research for this, and. Um, and he showed up at the end and he is dressed in this reflective suit and cowboy hat and acting like a televangelist. <laughs> and it's at the end of the concert 
and somebody runs up like a stagehand runs up to him and acts like a tabloid reporter and says what's what is the meaning of all this what are you trying to, what is your message what do you believe what do you believe and mirrorball man is screaming i have a vision and he's like what but what does that mean and he said i have a vision i have a vision i i have a vision it's television <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah i don't really know (laughs) i don't know are you telling me television is just a reflector i mean there's a lot of u2 dna in in arcade fire for sure yeah yeah Yeah. cool well um I'm going to share the thoughts of Kaiser Sushi on songmeanings.com because I think he did kind of nail it. Uh, it's a uh, Usual Suspects yeah. reference. Say, yeah, Usual say Suspects Say the name reference. again. It's great. Kaiser Sushi. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Okay, so this is a little long. I'm just going to read it. It's about fame. During the Pop Mart tour, they played this one in concert. On the giant screen, they put up a lot of images of dead celebrities. Marilyn Monroe, Janis Joplin, John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, John Belushi, Kurt Cobain. The message could not be clearer. The video with the Batman, the animated series-style animation, made a little story out of Bono being split into the fly and Mr. McFisto. Because metaphorically, that is what the song is about. The fly and Mac were he's on the first name basis (laughs) the fly and mac were bono's satirical take on celebrity the fly being the obnoxious prick who thinks he rules the world because he sold a few records and mcfisto being the same guy old fat tired and playing vegas it's an interesting Mm. take Hmm. elvis and the sideburn jumpsuit years a few cheeseburgers too many when it's become just a joke So Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me is sort of the conundrum of being famous, a media darling, a pop culture icon, prostituted to the public and finally used up and cast aside, forgotten or dead. The dead celebrities on screen were meant to remind us of just how lethal fame can be, because that kind of life is not really what human beings are meant for. People need privacy and the freedom to mess up without being crucified by the media. So I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah, that's excellent. uh, It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Elvis was in the music video. He sure was. Oh, was he? I didn't notice that. I think he drove the car that almost hit. uh, He did. Bono at the end. Uh, Are we, can we talk about the music video? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the I, music video. So I, I definitely remember uh, the animated aspect of it and, of course, the cuts to um, scenes from the film. Um, I just got to say uh, something that I noticed that I would have never noticed as a kid. Um, <laughs> at, towards the end, both of these things are towards the end. Um when they're walking away and Bono is walking, reading a book and the car drives by and it's all of a sudden the car and almost hits him and Bono falls and you see what the book is. And it's, I don't know if either of you have ever heard of the screw tape letters, which is a, a CS Lewis novel um, that are letters 
written uh, from one demon named Screwtape to his uh, like nephew, I think, named Wormwood. Uh, I I read it. I read it in either late high school or early college. Um, and I just thought that was super fascinating and appropriate, um, knowing Bono's interest in Christianity. Um, and the other thing is just that ending. I, what I remember vividly is the ending with the um, orchestra of Batman's. Um, it's just incredible. Such an incredible image. I love it so and much. Mephisto tearing off his costume to reveal he's Batman. Yeah, and back and Tearing forth. off his costume yeah. to reveal he's Mephisto. Yeah. Tearing off yeah. his costume to reveal he's Batman. Um, the alter egos and the the, the questions about identity and mm-hmm. uh, good and bad and um, yeah, yeah. That was the hi- the highlight for me was. Bono getting hit by a car driven by Elvis <laughs> and knocking the screw tape letters out of his hand. Yeah. Just just summarizes everything. Like I always perfect. remember the screw tape letters because Miss Wormwood and Calvin and Hobbes was named after the, oh. one, of the one of the demons in screw tape in is the that, screw tape letters. Is that canon? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Waterson oh. has, has said that in interviews. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, this song is good. This video is kind, like a, a a masterpiece. Kind of awesome. It's definitely the best music video we've seen yet. Like, For like sure. Far, yeah. far and away. Did you In guys read spite so I, of the clips from Batman Forever? Yeah, I would yeah. say I would say because no, not because of, but they don't <laughs> they don't uh, detract from from the um, animation too much for me. Again, it's products being integrated into the art and mm-hmm. it's somehow U2's thesis at this time period makes it work mm-hmm. beautifully. Mm-hmm. So I read that there was an animation team of 70, 72 artists that did Yo, this. Yo, somebody, Sam. <laughs> God damn it. 72 <laughs> artists given an 11 day window to complete the clip. Oh my gosh. And they finished and delivered it at 6 a.m. on the day it was set to debut on American TV. Oh, wow. wow. Cool. So it was rushed, it was under pressure, and it was still that great. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, if you haven't looked at it recently, it's a combination of this really campy Batman Forever footage. Um, animated footage of both Batman and uh, and U2. Um, and uh, like we've been saying, it fits really well with U2's preoccupation with media and image. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was immediately struck by it. You know, I don't really remember seeing any of these music videos when I was a kid. Like I just didn't, I don't think I had access to MTV and I, I wasn't listening to this music necessarily at the time that it was coming out. Um, I, I thought this video was totally brilliant. Yeah, it, it definitely enhanced um, my feelings towards the song um, for sure. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I mean, again, immediately I liked it more than I expected, but yeah, the video was just a, whole other thing that uh, a whole other cool element about um the song yeah yeah um one other thing that i have to say about the song is this was mixed by nelly hooper 
who's a producer who um, this song has certain trademarks that he'll contribute to a variety of other pretty good 90s singles. We'll be discussing him again with the um, the version of Garbage's number one crush that went to number one. He was a music supervisor on Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. Oh. And he also uh, worked on Nothing Compares to You uh, by Sinead O'Connor. And he worked on the, I think, great uh, single Six Underground by the Sneaker Pimps. Yeah. Um, which do all sort of have similar DNA with this song, just in the blend of... Um, I guess you could call it there. I would, I would hesitate to call this song trip hop. Um, but there are some, you know, some heavy electronic elements, drum machines being integrated with an atmospheric kind of rock, uh, situation. Um, some, some things that he did later, not so exciting. I mean, he worked on like hella good and some of the other, uh, no doubt songs from what was the name of that album? It's like their rock steady, rock steady. Um, he works with Madonna and Bjork quite a bit, hmm. and he also produced the um, Smashing Pumpkins single that was on the Batman and Robin soundtrack a couple years after this, The End is the Beginning is the End, hmm. which is kind of cool. It fits in yeah. with their um, I, and uh, I believe that Nellie Hooper did a remix of Perfect. I don't think it's the version that was released as a single, but hmm. some of that Adore era smashing pumpkin stuff that that fits you know satisfyingly in the same kind of category as as this song i think yeah yeah i guess i don't know a lot about nelly hooper um mm -hmm. i did read that the strings were arranged by someone named craig robinson who did the strings uh for madonna on take a bow frozen and ray of light and uh -huh. then also did strings for massive attack and the strings on celebrity skin by hole Oh really? I guess. There's very funny and uh, yeah. I guess I don't know. Hmm. We'll see. We will. Very funny and in, uh, in Pineapple Express and uh, Eastbound <laughs> and Down as well. Craig Craig, Craig Armstrong. Robinson, yeah. Craig Armstrong, great great Joker. I wait. Did you say Craig Armstrong? <laughs> did I say I? His name. Is I thought you Craig said Armstrong. Craig Robinson. I thought you said <laughs> no. You said Craig Robinson. I thought you I said did? Craig Robinson. Oh no! I'm pretty sure you said Craig Robinson. Oh no! Okay. Uh, that covers that. Craig Robinson <laughs> Hello, was. Craig Robinson. He's great in the uh, a show called The Office. If you've ever heard of it. Doug yeah, Judy the, and Brooklyn Nine Nine. That's the American Office for all you frauds out there. <laughs> <laughs> I like the American I, Office. I so more. badly wanted that show that he was doing with Adam Scott, uh, Ghost, Ghosted, Ghosted or something. Ghosted, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very good, unfortunately. No, I, but I, I, I really want Craig Robinson to find his thing because he's he's so funny he is a great villain and well you mentioned eastbound and down right he's yeah. uh yeah, yeah he's really great in that anyways reg uh, mackworthy <laughs> yes yeah i i know that that everybody knows about the plums bit on uh 
on uh, that comes from Ashley Schaefer, uh, Will Ferrell's character on Eastbound and Down. But if you look online very specifically, there's a scene where Will Ferrell is ad-libbing that entire sequence, and Danny McBride and Craig Robinson's faces are in shot, and Craig Robinson cannot prevent oh. himself from laughing. And it's one of those things that's just like old gag reels. You know, yeah. back in the day, you used to just make you laugh so hard to watch people messing up and laughing, but Craig Robinson cannot contain himself as Will Ferrell is ad-libbing, and it's like joy, utter joy that's, to watch. That's great. I will look that up. Yeah. Great Two job other... on the strings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two other um, things that I would point out before we start talking about albums and things like that. Um, one is that my top unofficial U2 album of the 90s is actually 1995's Wrecking Ball by Emmylou Harris, which uh, features heavily Daniel Lanois, who works with U2, and Larry Mullen Jr., um, of you too, and it's really fantastic. You should listen to it if you're not familiar with it. And the other thing is just if you like, if you're mostly know your '80s you two and your beautiful day, and uh, you know your singles, the number one song that I would send you back to to get interested in this time period is the first track on Octung Baby, Zoo Station. It is. Um, definitely is kind of marks like a a bold new period for you two and is impeccably produced and is just a neat song so i would really recommend that you check out that song specifically zoo station i agree and they also like i don't know if we should mention that they were doing the passengers album during this time uh you two was working with brian eno and mm. They put out an album under the the band name Passengers, and the album was called Original Soundtracks One. And this was um, an album of songs for um, imaginary films. Oh wow! Huh? That's, I didn't know they, about yeah. that. Yeah, they. Uh, it, this included a single called Miss Sarajevo that was uh, a single at this time. It was played on MTV a lot, and it featured Luciano Pavarotti. Uh, huh. The tenors, the three tenors, I believe. Hmm. I don't know a lot about Luciano Pavarotti, but this song, Miss Sarajevo, is beautiful. It is excellent. It reminds me, I, I listen to it and then sort of afterwards feel the vibe of um, House of Cards by Radiohead. Um, it it oh. feels similar. It has a similar feel. Um, cool. But uh, really neat song with um, a lot of uh, political inspiration for what was going on in, in Bosnia at that time. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty neat. I, I did listen to, to the Passengers album and it was not very exciting, but that single is still great. So is Bono doing, doing lead vocals on all those songs? Um, from what I could tell, yeah, when there were okay. vocals. Okay. Hmm. Do you have any memories of the film Batman Forever? Uh, I loved it as a kid. Um, I never saw Batman Returns, actually. To this day, I've never seen Batman Returns. I should change that. Um, But I loved the original. Um, 
what, 1989 Batman film? Um, I think so. Uh, with uh, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I was so excited about Batman Forever when I was a kid because um, I liked the Riddler a lot as a villain. Um, and, you know, this was like when Jim Carrey was just starting to reach the height of his, like, popularity in comedic roles and uh-huh. um i was excited about him playing the riddler and uh val kilmer i was cool with the change uh to val kilmer as batman even though i liked michael keaton and uh tommy lee jones i my parents were so weird about um like me listening to uh non-christian or like secular quote-unquote secular music but they would let me watch rated r um films with them sometimes what yeah okay and so like i was already a film of tommy lee jones from like the fugitive and like i feel like at least another um one or two action films and so i was excited about tommy lee jones uh i was excited about robin being in it um yeah so i yeah i just i have very fond memories of that film um and uh, I'm sure I haven't watched it in years, and I'm sure it's a heap of garbage. But um, uh, Al, I think you said that you had watched it, and I'm sure I it was a blast. I watched it. I watched it in my in my dutiful research for this podcast. Yeah, I um, I don't particularly care for Tim Burton's Batman. I'm sure that a lot of listeners will will urge you to watch Batman Returns, and I, I do think that of all of the than the the Batman movies from this era, that's probably the one to watch. Time out. Um, did Tim Burton do Batman Forever? Or was that Joel Schumacher? No, Joel Schumacher did Batman that's, Forever. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, Batman Forever it, it was interesting and boring at the same time. Um, it is, you know, I, I, I admire and I think it's cool that uh, it has such an intensely cartoonish feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think that that takes a certain visual flair and, um, you know, the, the, the angles and the colors and things like that are totally cartoonish. And, and that's cool. The performances are also cartoonish. At a certain point, as a viewer, I think you get a little desensitized to it and it, it grows a little tedious. And I think um, my number one issue with it uh, is that the the action sequences, which are such a big part of a superhero movie, are filmed in this campy way that prevents any real like tension from ever uh, developing, mm. uh, which is, I guess, just a strategy that a director can choose. But sustaining that over two hours without ever really feeling like anything is at stake is uh, is not very good for a movie. So I, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it two and a half stars out of five. Ultimately not a recommendation. Fair. Did you guys read the the story about uh, Jim Carrey meeting Tommy Lee Jones for the first time? No. No. Oh, it's so good. So I actually, I wrote down the quote. They, uh, he had met him at a restaurant before they started filming. And uh, Jim Carrey walks in and uh, the waiter says, hey, I hear you're working with Tommy Lee Jones. He's over in the corner having dinner. And he said, oh, cool. I'll go over there and meet him. 
and um and he gets up to give him a hug and um Tommy Lee Jones gives Jim Carrey a hug and says into his ear I hate you I really don't like you and Jim Carrey is like gee what I, <laughs> what's the problem man and Tommy Lee Jones says I cannot sanction your buffoonery <laughs> 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 That's funny for several reasons, including that Tommy Lee Jones is a total buffoon in Batman Forever. Yes. Um, he's he's uh, I, I was not a fan of Aaron Eckhart as uh, Two Face. Oh, okay, uh, in, okay. Uh, the Dark Knight, but uh, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones was not a great Two Face either. Uh, yeah. For a completely different reason. Yeah. It's just so hammy. Yeah. But man. Uh, you know, it's no mystery to our friends that I'm a big Harrison Ford guy, and Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive is mm. just a revelation. And mm. he won an Oscar for that performance, he did? just for being yeah, he did Best supporting actor, just for being the hard assed cop. Yep, That's and, awesome. and he's funny, and he's he's endlessly compelling. And uh, that between that and No Country yeah, for Old Men, yeah, he's, he's he's a legendary yeah, guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Well, so this is from the uh, Batman Forever soundtrack. Uh, what did you think of the soundtrack in general? Mm. Lots of ground to cover here. I can't believe it was as good as it was. Yeah. It had no business being as good as it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. It is it's really good. Is it better? It is... Sorry, Trev. You you finish. Yeah, no, it's real. It, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't anything important. I, I was, was going to ask, kind of is it better or worse than the Godzilla it. soundtrack? Ooh, good question. Better. It's better. Is I think it? it's better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it just it we'll it just uh, it just it fit the what I remember of the the movie so well too, right? Mm-hmm. Like it it's very eclectic. There mm-hmm. are different kinds of songs, and they're all very like moody and dynamic, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. man, really cool. For yeah, me, the, there was a run in the middle from tracks like four through seven that were just like, whoa, whoa, hmm. whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, this is great. <laughs> Holy cow. That was like, so that was like Kiss from a Rose. Um, Hunter gets captured by the game, which is like an old Motown song that was covered by Massive Attack and Tracy hmm. Thorne from Everything But the Girl. Um there was a song, uh, the sixth song, which I thought was maybe the the biggest revelation for me. It was called Nobody Lives Without Love by Eddie Reader. And it sounded like this new, it sounded very 2020. It sounded like a, a song from like one of the newer, cool kind of like chill wave bands like Men I Trust or like Yumi Zelma or mm. like one of those kind of bands. It sounded great. And then the seventh song was Tell Me Now by Mazzy Star, which was also awesome. Yeah, the uh, the PJ Harvey song I also I thought was very cool. It's the second track. It's got like a an interesting groove and great drums and vocals, mm-hmm. and um, it's less than three minutes long, and it like really goes on a journey. Um, and I, I mean, let's just talk about Kids from a Rose for a moment Dude. because it's gonna be what? it's gonna be um, number one on the pop charts pretty soon here. That song is just a total coup. I mean, unbelievable. 
Un- it's un- so good. Unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's such a, it, like the chord progression is insane. All of yeah. the changes, just the melody, just like the melody, pure, melody. The, the, the like stops and starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just like the pure talent on it's display. It's a soul song that is weirdly Baroque. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, Baroque it's is incredible. a great, great word for it. That the thing that I thought I didn't like about it was that um, the intro sort of riff that sounds like the Renaissance Festival. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it comes in after the first chorus, maybe. And I was like, that that sounds like, that's that's dorky. I don't like that. But completely did not mind it this it is, time through. It is dorky. That, it is it a, probably it is is. Dorky, you're right but it's you're awesome. right <laughs> but i listened to that song and then i stopped what i was doing and listened to that song again and again yeah and it and just cranked it up and it was it was such a blast it was so and good. who does those melodic moves in a soul song where he's like did you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's very that's, cool. That's the peak of the melody too, right? Where he does that and then shifts yeah. down just a just a. Da, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's exactly. Yeah. Trev and Trev, did you ever hear? I think uh, our friends Zach Kurd and Kevin McGorry uh, did a cover of. I remember Kiss hearing Kevin sing, sing this and having sort of the same thing where I was like, "Whoa, is this song good? Yeah, this is yeah. Really, this Kevin's version is great. Yeah, yeah, the, so, yeah. The, the, um, big minor to major shift too, mm-hmm. from oh. the verses to the chorus. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a it's an awesome song. It's totally wow. an awesome yeah. song. Yeah. Um, I also liked the. Nick Cave song, which I I'm not a Nick Cave person at all. Um, I've never cared. Um, and the song's kind of cool. Um, I feel like uh, it's a, a very. Uh, I mean, so many of these are very interesting choices for a mainstream uh, blockbuster film, of course. Uh-huh. Um, also, like uh, Sunny Day Real Estate has a song on the soundtrack, uh-huh. um, which is not even close to one of my favorite songs of theirs, but. Uh, just interesting. Um, I I like the Offspring song um, quite a bit. Smash it up. Um, I like it more than anything from Smash. Um, I felt like it, it disrupted the mood a little bit. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, sure. In the context of the soundtrack or uh, I guess album, as we're looking mm-hmm. at it, um, sure. In the movie, that song is played when Robin discovers that uh, Bruce Wayne is Batman and takes the Batmobile out for a night on oh, the town. Oh shoot! Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I hated uh, the Iggy Pop cover on it. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, Michael By Hutchins, Michael Hutchins yeah. from NXS. Oh, is that who that is? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know who Michael um, Hutchins was. I don't like the passenger. Period. Oh, so I've I like, never liked the passenger in any version. I like that song. Okay. Um, I like I like NXS. Yeah, it kind of made sense in this context. It did. It did. Especially, well, yeah, to be sung by the singer of NXS too. Yeah. Um, he's got a little attitude. Um, I remember there being a Brandy song on the soundtrack, but it was mm-hmm. not what I thought it was. I think. Um. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, also, uh, the Flaming Lips song, um, Bad Days. Uh, I remember, I, I guess I don't remember specifically the part that that song comes in 
in the film. Like I can't picture it, but I. So you know, there are lyrics very specifically about what shooting your boss. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's an Edward Enigma slash Riddler part for sure. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. As he is officially losing it. And he's been fired by Bruce yeah, Wayne. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, uh, okay. He is having his demented dream okay. of revenge, and that's the song that plays. I, as a kid, I remember thinking, like, what, is this, like, a Beach Boys song I've never heard before? Uh-huh. And uh, I remember years later um, buying uh, Claude Stace Metallic, and on the CD version... Um, it is like a bonus track at the end of the album and um uh you know hearing it and being like oh my god like this is the song from batman forever that i (laughs) as a kid thought was uh a beach boy song and uh of course you would remember that yeah well and uh yeah i mean it's It's just like clearly their uh uh like most blatant ode to uh the beach boys and uh it's a great song i really like that song that's like one of my favorite flaming lips i thought the flaming lips song was terrible and has (laughs) no business being on the soundtrack it is a total outlier and is a bad song bad day more like bad song (laughs) wow it is the final track isn't it it is i think it is they get some permission to break the mood i guess yeah um, Sorry you don't like good music, Travis. <laughs> you all know how I feel about the Flaming Lips in general. And I so. am with you, Al, but they yeah. have good they do have good music. Yeah. They're just uh no, I, I coins do appreciate, I, I, I appreciate the psychedelic zaniness. It's 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 uh Wayne Coin sucks. Absolutely. It's close enough to sort of like an Elephant Six vibe mm. to me that um it, it can find its way into my heart, but the all music review I thought was very articulate. They said what ties nearly everything together in the soundtrack is the underlying dark rhythmic pulse. Each song has a vague menace that is also sexual hmm. and that does fit the film very well. This is the movie where the bat suit has nipples. Yeah. I, I didn't remember that. Yeah. We texted about and, that. And, uh, and, um, oh boy. <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Nicole oh, Kidman. Th- Her performance is just, just this breathlessly sexualized mm. performance yeah. all throughout yeah. the, the movie. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, From I, the very first scene, her, her obsession is, she has a sexual obsession mm-hmm. with Batman, mm-hmm. basically. Oh. Mm. Not necessarily Bruce Wayne, as played by Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer's had a weird career yeah. mm-hmm. as an actor. He, uh, I, He's the rare male actor who I can think of who has, who has his career has been harmed by the fact that he has not maintained his figure. Hmm. Like he's kind of a schlubby guy now, and he's he's put it to use beautifully. And uh, particularly, I'm thinking uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, uh, made by Werner Herzog, which is an amazing movie, like one of the best movies of of the 21st century. But um, I'm a big fan of Top Secret, the Zucker Abrahams and Zucker. It's basically a spoof of it's Val Kilmer's very first role. Um, it's uh, 
it's in the same vein as as airplane and like hot shots right sorry like hot shots maybe too uh, yeah, 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 yeah. One of those directors was involved okay. in Hot Shots Part Deux. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it's just a gag, a gag every second kind of movie. But um, I highly recommend Top Secret. In fact, speaking of Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> speaking of Brian Wilson, <laughs> um, the the video for Skeet Shooting is how Top Secret opens. It is a song about the latest craze, which is skeet shooting while you're on a surfboard. <laughs> skeet surfing. <laughs> skeet surfing is what the song is called. That's anyway. Amazing. I, it's great. My favorite Valcoma role has always been Doc Holliday in Tombstone. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, isn't there an uh, insane uh, Klosterman write-up about Val Kilmer? Like he, I don't know. He visited him at like his farm. And uh, like he has buffalo, or something. Trav, do you remember this? It's like in. I do. I remember like a. Is a it long in four, form maybe? Article about it. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of interesting. It was very interesting. Actually. I mean, he's painted as like a completely insane person. Um, mm-hmm. huh. Like just completely. Okay. Um, lives Off the outside grid. of reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. It's pretty interesting. I know that. Um, there's some behind the scenes kind of documentary stuff about the mid nineties Island of Dr. Moreau, mm. where there were numerous people who were unhinged in oh. that production, including Marlon Brando. Oh. Um, and that's, that's an interesting thing to look yeah, into. Interesting. I've always wanted to, Kilmer. I've always wanted to see that film. I've read the book. Um, yeah. It sounds like it's, a combustible it's weird. unit of uh, people between just those <laughs> yeah. two. For sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, should we move on to the charts? Yeah. We're almost at an hour here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, number one on the mainstream rock chart is still December by Collective Soul, which we all had positive feelings about. And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, number one on the mainstream pop chart, I don't think that we remembered to talk about Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman (laughs) by Brian Adams last session. Oh. I still have to look twice to make sure that it's not Ryan Adams. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I do. I just I'm not rem- familiar enough. To, I remember to know the difference. they had a song. There was a song with the Three Musketeers soundtrack around this time with Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. And I always would get those three mixed up because they oh. sound vaguely like raspy and oh, similar. Sure. Um, I think. Have you ever really loved a woman is so funny. It's such a funny song. Like, like if you, if if that song starts, I immediately start to smile because it's so (laughs) stupid. Ah. Uh, Well, Travis, when you can see your unborn children in her eyes, (laughs) you know, you've really loved a woman. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah, I uh, nothing really stuck out to me on the other charts. Uh, this yeah, a okay. lot of a lot of kind of um, similar yeah. songs that we've already discussed, mm-hmm. right? The one thing I, have we talked about Carnival by Natalie Merchant? No, we haven't. Carnival, whew, 
Tiger Lily. Whew. One of the great yeah. albums of 1995. There are a couple of Natalie Merchant things that are just spellbinding yes. from this time period. Yes. Carnival is on the charts. Life walk these streets in a carnival of sights to see. All the cheap thrill seekers, vendors, and the dealers, they crowded around me. Have I been blind? Have I been lost inside myself and my own mind? Been hypnotized, mesmerized by what my Glad to hear it. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Uh, no, we, we talked about Hum a little bit last time. Did we? I couldn't remember. Yeah, I think we have talked about Hum just a little bit. Strange Currencies by R.E.M. on the charts. That's, that's kind of surprising to see. Mm. Um... What would you say by DMB? It's on the charts. <laughs> Featuring a, a great guest spot from Jay Peeper. Speaking of DMB. <laughs> the brown Pepsi boy. <laughs> the brown Pepsi boy himself. Speaking of DMB, I was so happy to see Vic Berger uh, repost the, um, oh, yeah. the Dave uh, Scat video. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. It's pretty incredible. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Minor Everclear single from Sparkle and Fade, Heroin Girl. Oh yeah, I um, remember that song existing, but I I can't uh, think of it. Yeah. yeah, it's super fast, and I wonder if it's good. Yeah, it's I love okay. Songs. It's okay. Uh, I was a really big Everclear fan at one point. Um, it really cements the sort of like the, um, I guess the slightly unique hole that Everclear managed to slot themselves into, which was sort of like this trailer trash uh, punk rock vibe. And Heroin Girl really leans heavily into that. Mm. And in a way that's kind of compelling but um he's not a brilliant lyricist i mean he he makes it work when he's when he's vulnerable um but uh probably an interesting song not necessarily a particularly good song Cool. All right. Well, should we rate this thing? Yeah. Rate it. I give um, Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2 uh, 3.75 Bumblebee Tunas. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, shout out to my man Jim <laughs> Carrey <laughs> in a different role. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm going to give this song Mac, 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 Fisto. That's four <laughs> Macs before the Fisto. Wow. Um, I will give it this song four Batsuit Nips. <laughs> wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. It is. That's really pretty good. That's a good, good. song. I'm, I'm glad we, like we really were surfing on a wave of positivity throughout yeah. this whole episode. All right. Well, um, is this a Nirvana wannabe? Absolutely. No way. Not. No. No, not even remotely. No, it's pretty unique. It's yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. All right. Tell me all your thoughts on Pod is a part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. Email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Email us a question, and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience, or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. Listen along with the playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. You can also join our Facebook group, Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. Uh... I'm not even going to tell you what song we're doing next week. Why? After all this time, listeners, if you haven't figured it out, you haven't been listening after what we did in the theater. (laughs) You ought to know (laughs) by Alanis Morissette. (laughs) Bye. 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 <laughs>